On this episode of AV Week, ISC happens in Barcelona and online, virtual and in person, virtual holographic uh, meetings, and taking a look at the education space, both K-12 and higher ed, as we get into planning for the fall. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. 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 Is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 511, recorded Friday, June 4th, 2021. Retail Education. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry leading technology backed by world class support. And by Daylight, the leading producer of high quality projection screens worldwide. And by Vadio a leading manufacturer of professional PTZ cameras, Pro-AV solutions, and UCC integration systems. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the person who I am the president of her fan club, her name is Jen Steinhardt. She is known as Nerdy Girl AV. Welcome, ma'am. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And a young lady that I got to meet through a, a buddy of, of ours, Chris Netto, Jenny Hicks from a mid, from Midwich Group. She is the group head of technology. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so today uh, we have two Jens, uh, two Jennifers, which I have no problem with because that was my sister's um, uh, name. So Jen Steinhardt will be Jen. Jenny will, Hicks will be Jenny. That is what she wants to be called. I am not. <laughs> I asked her before we ever started recording. So don't send me letters. All right, here we go. First story comes to us. Good night. It's been a long week. It's been a weird short week, and I am a little bit loopy, so you'll have to excuse me. Uh, first uh, story comes to us from our friends over at Sound and Communications Magazine. Uh, from Peter Hansen, actually. Education is at an intersection. This is his Avixta point of view, quote, unquote, uh, from the article. The confluence of uh, characteristics, um, both for, uh, teaching in group as well as hybrid and flip classrooms has made education one of the most complex and innovative spaces since the pandemic began when it comes to reducing the grouped nature of education uh, and elevating the remote learning experience av has been a primary tool jen we're going to start with you on this uh you you are actually from a a, a work standpoint you're in transition between a corporate side and, and the resi side but you spent a lot of years on on the corporate side what what have you seen and what have you experienced from your, your the clients that, that you guys had um, when it comes to the education market and, and what they've kind of leveraged and leaned on the last 12, 13 months and what they're looking to do the next six months or, the, or maybe even the next semester? Yeah, I think that we're in a strange spot right now trying to see where things are going to stick. Um, but I think that a lot of the education side of things, some of the stuff that I really hope that's going to continue and stay, um, is going to be this hybrid engagement, um, particularly when you look at access to education and things like that as well, is that, you know, they may not have a need, particularly in the secondary um, side of education, where they may not need to continue having the ability to do conferencing and things like that in the conference in the conference in the classroom uh, as things kind of start to open up more um, but being able to still put money in towards the collaboration side of things um, would be where I put my bottom dollar on 
Do you really quickly, Jen, uh, follow up on that? You mentioned the secondary um, education market. So higher ed has traditionally been uh, the the group of of education that has had the more funds, right? Bottom line, they've had more money, right? And and I live in the state of Illinois. I've bitched and moaned on on this program and others about the the lack of funds in the state of Illinois. But even so, higher education and even Illinois, they've typically had more money. Do you see a difference between that market and like K-12 and what they're leveraging and, and maybe being more creative with some of the technology uh, in, in K-12 because they simply they haven't had the funds? You know, I think that that's that is also why we're in such an interesting spot is because, first of all, um, you know, we're based out of New Jersey. So for us, a lot of education is bids. Um, which I'm not sure if that's the case in for other locations. Um, but the the higher ed has had more of the fun to play with. And I've definitely seen that um, because they've gotten more funding and things like that to help safely open and invest in these things. Um, I'm not sure yet how that's going to play out down the road because, yes, they have some funds now, but will they continue to have those funds because part of mm-hmm. investing in your AV and everything is going to also be that cost of maintenance down the line and who's going to run it and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. What, one quick note on that, and, and Jenny will get you on this. Um, not this particular comment. I, I've heard of an apocryphal story, and I say when I say apocryphal story, meaning I don't have a good source for this. So you take it for, for what it is. Um, my understanding is, is and I'm, I'm, we're trying to find out from, from the feds on this, uh, the U.S. feds, not all of the CARES Act and not all the CARES to Act from the education portion has been spent. Again, apocryphal, I don't know how much that is. I don't know how little that is, right? So there apparently is, is this, this there, there are still funds available on those two bills uh, that some folks are expecting to come and be released and be spent in the next semester and possibly the next school year. Again, still trying to flush that, that side out. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see. Jenny, um, not obviously, but you do live in, in the in the UK. You're part of the Midwich Group um, on the UK side, but you Midwich is is a global entity. You've got um, organizations and you've got companies all over the world. Whether it's in the UK um, and, and your um, primary or secondary education, or or the other folks that you see globally, what are you seeing as far as higher education? Yeah, so with higher ed, I think it's it's quite different because of the choice element. So in in our what we call compulsory education, you guys, K-12. Um, I expect that we'll see now, you know, they, they've had to invest and they had to invest quite quickly in conferencing technologies um, and use them in many cases at their absolute bare minimum. And now I think that, you know, there's always going to be, because there's so much more for compulsory in K-12 about getting students in amongst other students and what they learn from the social interaction of school. But that's not necessarily the case when it comes to higher ed and university. So yes, a big part of that university experience is the social element, but it's not essential to your development because you go there as an adult. So where I feel that that lower end of education will now turn their attention to the catch up phase um, and I think this is going to be quite an interesting movement because we've seen lecture capture and video on demand solutions pretty uh, rife and standard in higher education. And they're at a price point that it really isn't 
possible for most state and compulsory education. So I think that is prime for the signage market because they can make video on demand a hell of a lot lower cost. Um, they might be able to deliver that video on demand experience with some simple cameras, particularly if they move towards NDI cameras now as well, of capturing those lessons and saying, right, these are now available to you. What you missed last year, you can relive this year with the year below you. In universities and higher ed, wow, this is like, um, they're now retail in my mind. So retail is battling against the online store, yeah? And what we've proven in this last 18 months is that why, why, why would you need to travel overseas to go to the university of your choice? Why couldn't you just learn online? Why can't you benefit from that level of lecturer and professional by being in your home? And this was already starting. This had begun with the whole open university thing. And it's just accelerated like so much else in AV through and UC through the pandemic. Um, so now their job is exactly the same as bricks and mortar retail. What experience can you deliver on campus that warrants people coming to the campus? And the better that experience, the more likely that you can bring people in. And let's be realistic, those uh, students that are international, they bring much um, higher fees. It, it, it's, a, it's a fact. Um, the universities need them to bring that level of income and so on. So they've, um, they've really got to think outside the box now, I think, higher ed, um, to, because, because there is obviously they've proven that you can learn online, that you can benefit from their expertise online. So there will most likely be a price for you to learn online, but from a distance, or for you to attend because you are a local or in-territory um, student. And then there's this, this is what you get above and beyond that if you come come to us. What that is, I don't know that we, we know yet, whether it's just wow factor AV or whether it's really, you know, truly immersive collaboration and, and so on, whether it's some all entangled social network um, that that allows you to create your study groups and and so on and that there's there's loads of, of tangible ways that it could go but that that's their kind of new job isn't it to entice people to site because we've proven they don't necessarily need to be there so you have absolutely blown my mind here because because <laughs> No, seriously, here, here's, here's the correlation. And we, cause we've talked about retail for years, right? And, and the death of brick and mortar and, and Amazon and all that jazz. And yes, I give Amazon as much of my money as everybody else does. Really. So this is not a thing about Amazon. But you have made, I mean, seriously, you, you, you've got a really great point is the fact that higher education now, right? Yes, K-12 and, or, or compulsory, which is what it is in the States, right? It's, it's compulsory. I think it's yeah. 16 or 17. You can technically drop out if you want, but, but whatever. Um, they are stuck with they they have a significant challenge that is not unlike the retail establishments right you've got to give people to come come back to to, to class now um our buddy joe way right uh joe's got uh, actually joe has a really great new podcast that you need to check out uh it's called give me a minute it's really great and literally it's 60 90 seconds um but usc last summer put in like 250 um AV over IP classrooms, right? For some of the the stuff, and and it, it he'll he'll be the first to tell you it 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 made him look smarter than he actually is, right? He had already purchased them <laughs> before the pandemic hit. Just so happens that that he took possession, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. But but the 
point is this, is that they were already in the process of upgrading classrooms and giving them the technology and giving them the opportunity to take one classroom and put it into several different places. But they've got to give them something more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's an old adage about, you know, um, you know, people don't go to school or don't go to Harvard for the technology. Well, maybe they do now. Right. Maybe they do it for the experience. Maybe they do it for the camaraderie. You know, yes, you know, we can get an online diploma from Harvard. I'm making that that up as an example. Eventually, there may be a possibility. But you're absolutely right that that, holy cow. Yeah, they've got a retail problem and it's going to take some really smart folks and some really creative folks to, to solve that. Absolutely. I think that the comparison of of looking at retail and the education is also really interesting because they're both looking at a customer journey problem is that yep. it's not necessarily that, okay, they have to buy online or they have to buy in store or attend school either way. Um, but how do we integrate that um, and then use it so that, okay, certain problems are solved online while certain problems are explored um, in person. So. This is the same everywhere, right? So, um, you know, that the whole, it's just that retail have been battling it pre-pandemic. But now education has come into it and the workforce has come into it. How do you entice people back into the office? Now, we all know that so much happens because of the accidental collisions in a workplace. So much happens because of, of collaboration across the desk. And if you eliminate the possibility of that happening because you can only have a planned call with someone and and that might be a one-to-one, then, you know, those accidental collisions um, won't happen and potentially the ideas and the the productivity that comes out of them isn't there. And that's what has to be proven now. So in retail, we're saying, you know, if people don't go into the store, then... They are guided by the algorithms that are online shopping. So you'll only be presented with what the algorithm thinks that you want. Whereas if you go into a store, for whatever reason you've ended up there, you might be presented with something you didn't know existed. Demand has then been created. And in the same way, if you go into the workplace, you may have an accidental collision and an idea may come from it that wouldn't have happened if you'd have been at home. And now education is going to go through the exact same thing that we've proven that we can do it virtually. And it's now the establishment's job to prove that there is a benefit to being on site for them. It's about income. It's about culture. Um, But for the student, there's an opt in element to it of, you know, we, we have to show you what you can gain from being here because you can save a lot of money by being at home. And if you're only looking at the academic achievement, you can probably grasp that from home. So how do you promote that culture? And, you know, there's, there's, you can go out and meet people at a pub, right? So there has to be more to it. And I think tech could well be the answer to that of what is it that you experience in the classroom, in the lecture theater, um, that we cannot deliver you at home, that you can't go and get from a separate social life. This is where your like-minded people are. And this is how you benefit from being physically together. Um, so, we, we, yeah, what retail we're, we're experiencing before the pandemic, everyone else is now coming towards GP surgeries as well, right? Everyone's had their doctor's appointments over the phone on Skype or similar. How do you entice people back to to the doctor's surgery? Otherwise, that real estate, what, what's it for? Why not sell it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And if if my my fifteen year old is watching this, I will pay more for you to go someplace else than <laughs> my house for those four years. I'm just don't look at me and say me I'm a bad dad. Come on, you're thinking the same thing. All right, from from our friends over actually in in Jenny's neighborhood, uh, AV uh, AV Magazine, a brand new holographic. Um, Virtual meeting uh, from uh, from their their uh, article. The U.S. based DVE Holographics has announced a hologram meeting experience that requires no dedicated production studios and no projectors to create HDR quote unquote hologram images of people while conferencing. The company makes says the market ma- this makes for significant cost savings and makes exponential growth uh, in usage achievable. Just for the record, they're they're basically saying any sort of, of soft codec. So they, they list, you know, obviously Zoom and Microsoft and other others, but it's there's no special special Zoom software. There's no special Microsoft software. Then there's no special, you know, production studios. Jenny, really really simple question on this. What's the viability uh, of, of a holographic um virtual meeting? Uh we just talked about, you know, the kind of the drop in. Is is that going to help either higher education, which we just talked about, or just getting folks connected to the workplace? You know what, I love it. I love what they've done. Um, and, uh, I wish, I wish that we lived in a world where this could be everywhere. But I think that we have to look back um, historically at what has and hasn't landed in this industry. And, you know, one of, one of the early ones was telepresence. Um, it was relatively low in adoption. Um, restricted mostly to C-suites and maybe, you know, one telepresence room in a major corporate office. Um, And it never really hit that small to medium enterprise um, level. And then the other thing that I think could hinder this, and I want it to succeed, I really do, because I think this is great because it it blends the two. Um, We've talked a lot lately across the industry about hybrid working, what that really means, how so many people think that they want to stay at home, but they haven't yet experienced what hybrid is because we're all on this level playing field. Everyone's the same size in their thumbnail on a Teams call, on a Zoom call. And your etiquette is to watch that flat two-dimensional image of each person, look for an intake of breath, know that they want to talk next. So wait your turn, etc. And then we might get back to the meeting rooms and we're going to discover that actually our just sense of good manners will mean that we will not turn our back on the person that's physically in the same room as us. So, but we're probably not going to have the same consciousness around the people that are on the screen. And I do really think that the remote user is going to suffer and either those that are in the office, in the big group, need to learn to uh, change their meeting room etiquette um, or it won't succeed and some of those people that think that working from home is the the new wonder world will decide actually I don't feel a sense of belonging and they'll come back so this could be the answer right but we had a 3d projection it was set to be a huge deal into education we were going to learn all about biology by looking at 3D imagery and actually there was a number of things that went wrong. Number one, it just simply never really took off. Um, 3D AV didn't just, it just didn't really happen for us when there was so much development going into it. Number two, there was a a whole load of, of questions raised around potential discrimination because 
people that were glasses wearers might struggle to see the three-dimensional in the same way that others did, so was it fair and so on. And I wonder if this could fall, um, you know, down, down the same side. It, it's so cool, but we've all developed this tolerance of the virtual world at home, and we're kind of happy with it. Um, you know, once once upon a time, if you walked into a meeting room and you tried to use your uh, on-premise codec and something went wrong, you'd be like, ah, oh, this technology hasn't worked. I had some packet loss. It wasn't good enough. They didn't look lifelike to me. And you moaned. But this new generation that's coming up, we're used to that. We're used to driving to an area where we don't have good enough 4G, 5G signal. And we go, oh, well, that's normal. That's just because I've got poor signal. And we're really tolerant of poor performing tech. So is there an appetite for something this special? I don't know. Um, I definitely think that there's probably enough appetite for them to make good money from it and have some good examples do i think that this will roll out into small to medium enterprise right now no all right jen same question you know what is the future and what is the the possibility of this taking hold i think that it's also i agree it's really really cool but i think that it's missing solving a, a pain point that we really need is because like what jenny was talking about is that really it's a step above seeing just a flat image um but i actually think losing the headsets the wrong direction because th having the mm. headsets is what allows you to be able to be more mobile as you're going like for me if i had ar headsets i could be walking down the city and be having a meeting um and i can still pay attention to my surroundings and see the people that I'm engaging with. The problem that you have there is then how do they see you? Um, that's a whole nother level. Um, but even with the VR, some of the stuff uh, we've talked about too is that if you do say like a body scan that um, can create an avatar of yourself that's a realistic avatar that you can still have it train it for emotions and things like that. Um, because there's standard human emotions like um, happy, surprised, and things like that, that you can use that data um, to create a lifelike model. So as you're speaking, I mean, that's just a whole nerd down a rabbit hole, but like there's ex exploration for product development that I think would have a far better rate of success than just having another type of display that we can look at. Because it's still not human, even though it has that 3D aspect to it. But it's kind of human. It is kind of human. Yeah. I, I want to know a bit more about the rules of it, though, right? So I've, I've watched some of the YouTube videos and stuff, but, like, what happens if you walk the wrong way? What happens if you accidentally walk into a physical chair that's in the room? You know, how does it provision for your blindness of, of the setting that you're appearing in? I, I, I think at the moment I have more questions about what could go wrong and what could spoil the illusion. So my brother works um, in themed attraction and, and leisure design, and people often say to him when they're talking about projection mapping, you know, oh, well, well, what happens when the hand interrupts the projection? And his answer is always, you know, wait, 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 the hand becomes the projection and you're, you're part of it. And that's great, but when you're trying to create a lifelike experience in a meeting, that won't fly. So 
if they manage to walk through a physical chair in the room, that's not okay. Um, and and that, those are the boundaries that I guess that I have questions around of, um, are we are we creating a semi sort of studio? They say there's no studio environment needed at, at one end, but what about at the creation end? What What yeah. is required at that end to make sure that what the person at the other end, what the remote user sees is realistic enough. And, um, but I, I love the fact that it's been done. Yes. I love the fact that it's been done. And I think I read somewhere that we work and maybe adopting this, um, in some flag flagship, uh, offices and so on. And I think that will drive some business for them. Um, but we, we've seen a number of products like this, um, that have that minority report feel of, oh my goodness, they've made what was it? And it was done. It was done in, is it the Kingsman, uh, the film? They they had the AR glasses and they had the holographic yes. uh, VR meeting. <laughs> so, so it was foretold in cinema and here it is. Um, and that does generate some business, but I, I've, I, I always look at it from, you know, would Midwich buy this? And the answer is no, because we, we're all quite happy looking at ourselves in our thumbnail um you know we, we've gotten used to virtual at home if we'd never done this experiment um by all sending us home and having to go virtual maybe we would be more open to the dve solution yeah and let, let's not forget you know star wars episode one or two you know yoda was a virtual you know in the jedi council at one point he was yeah yeah, I'm just saying. it was foretold. Galaxy far, far away. That is one of the the nice things about um, holograms. Once we get there, is that you can be in multiple places at once and those kinds of things. But I just don't think it's quite there yet. I also had that same question about the the production. Is that I kind of liked it a little bit better when you did need a studio in a way, because that way I know I'm not getting this out of the camera or just like my forehead like what kind of production are we going to get out of these and how is that back end actually happening yeah that's a really good point and it has to be it has to be real right so is it a real experience for the person that is the hologram if they have a, a number of rules that they have to follow because of how they're appearing at the other end um, you know, does, does that damage the experience for them because they are the virtual person and they have these parameters in which they can move and so on? I have a ton of questions that I don't have the answers to. And, and it's quite possible that DBE would turn around and say, no, 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 we've set it up so that it works like this. And that would be great. But I, I think that's what a lot of the industry would be thinking right now is, well, I'm, I know if I sit here and I talk at my screen, you see my head. And that's what's necessary. And that's been acceptable for the last 18 months, so much so that we're all talking about continuing to do it when we don't have to. Um, so, yeah, there's why, why does anyone buy something that's mid range when there's premium available? That is life, isn't it? So um, they will definitely be the most innovative for a while, I think. Absolutely. Uh, so Speaking of innovation, our, our friends at ISE uh, pulled off their show this week, uh, June 1st through the 4th, both virtual and, and in person in Barcelona. Uh, um, nobody on this call was there. Uh, we do have some friends that were. <laughs> Jenny almost spit out her coffee but on that one. Um, 
and I, I don't mean that to sound snarky, but it, you know, it was in Barcelona. There was some folks that that you know, depending on on where you're at in your vaccine and this, that, and the other, allowed back in, into the into the EU and and allowed into into Spain. Um, the the story we're going to link and Mitchell's going to put up there is, is from DNB, is from our website. But I just kind of want to get a sense um, of this uh, this way that they're doing it this year and and from all intents and purposes and we've talked to to mr blackman a number of times he is is still saying that that isc in 22 is 100 percent back to the way it was in 2020 uh in 2019 not in amsterdam but but in in terms of it's all one show it's all happening one week this year they're, they're they took it took place in barcelona uh and then in a few weeks time uh, they're actually going to uh, to the UK uh, in uh, Battersea Park, uh, June 23rd to the 24th. Our friend Clive Caldwell will be hosting a number of, of things. Um, Jen, from your standpoint, does this, I mean, it, it is the biggest, it, it has been the biggest AV show in, in the world, right? Um, does this make sense? Does this, you know, kind of, you know, the virtual part and, you know, splitting it up into two uh, areas. Uh, and did you hear anything this week that was like, oh, my gosh, that, that's fantastic? Uh, or do you think that folks are kind of holding on to some things and, and not releasing them maybe this month, but holding it off until Infocom in October or maybe even for next next February even? Yeah, I like having at least just the two locations because when you split it up, I feel like it's – I mean, I, I have the experience on the integrator side, so there's only so many places we can go and that our staff can go to. Um, and then on the manufacturer side too, I imagine that whole, I mean, I think that there are there are manufacturers kind of holding out um, right now because we're just not sure how many people are actually attending and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's difficult for people to plan how they're releasing their product updates and things like that. Um, so I also hope that they will continue having a virtual component. Um, I think there's so many people that want to be able to attend even before the pandemic, like that just couldn't go. Um, so being able to have the, the participation, I think is so important to continue that hybrid side of things for any of, not just for ISC. All right, Jenny. Same question to you. Uh, Midwich has traditionally been an exhibitor at Integrated Systems Europe. I, I assume that they'll they will return come twenty two. Um, what do you guys, as, as both a distributor, exhibitor, and also somebody that that goes there for for customers and clients, what do you guys see as as far as this year's as, and also in in twenty two's kind of forecasting of it? Yeah. So, um, so obviously, we would normally have been at ISE um, and and uh, we, we, we were one of the companies that pulled out last year um, because of everything that was going on and it didn't feel safe. We're, uh, I don't know if privilege is the right word, but we, we own a company in Italy. So we were watching the pandemic unfold before it really hit the UK. And that helped us um, to make a, a number of our decisions. But it was pretty clear from the World Health Organization that, um, you know, you it, it, it was it felt the right decision to make for us um with regards to barcelona i guess that i it doesn't feel like there have been as many announcements um product releases as we would normally have expected from a show like this um i think that's attributed to the fact that it's localized at the moment perhaps we'll see some of the uk-based manufacturers 
um, making announcements in, in the London show. I do hope to attend the London show. Uh, obviously, at the moment, we're in this awkward position, so we won't hear from our government as to whether or not it's safe to attend until I think it's the 14th of June now, and the show's due to happen on the 21st. So, that, you know, it's, it's really going to be quite tight. Um, but I do have some insights from a vendor partner of ours. They did attend ISE in Barcelona. Um, and whilst it was very different for them, they felt that everyone who attended it as, a, as an attendee was there with real purpose. And I think sometimes we do get that from smaller shows, that the people that have made a real active decision to go and they have a reason to be there and they're shopping for something, they have a, pro a project in mind or they are a, a supplier and they're looking for for new. You know, they came back with, with well over 100 really tangible leads to follow up and they were very pleased with their experience there so um i wonder if if that's what we'll find from some of these smaller shows is that those that have made that informed choice to be there have a reason to be there as opposed to the networking element which is sometimes what ise conjures so from my side i've always found that i go to ise and i'm too busy bumping into people catching up on meetings because everyone's filled my diary before I get there. I never get to the small booths to see what's available, coming out and so on. And I use Infocom for that because less people know me in the States and less of the European sales teams will travel there. So I'm able to sort of browse the show and I'm able, able to get onto the stands of, you know, competitive brands and so on because they don't know me. So I can sort of go, oh yeah, I'm so-and-so from ABC AV. And, and have a real look at, at what's going on. And, and that's where I find the smaller booths and that's where I find some of the new technology ventures that will then follow. Um, that's exactly how Midwich found Mersive and that's become one of our most fruitful relationships across the globe. So um, yeah, I, I think that what has had to happen with the local shows was, was inevitable. Uh, it, the options were, run them like this or don't have them at all. We're going through it ourselves in the UK. We would normally hold a trade show of our own. Um, I think that we do plan to go ahead with that in October, but it's very difficult still to really pin down a decision on whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. And we'll wait for the government's announcement here uh, in later June. Personally, I'm desperately trying to make sure that I can get out to Infocom. I have some speaker engagement, so I really need to be there. Um, and it, as it stands at the moment, I can't get to America without needing to quarantine when I come home for 10 days, which is fine for now with it being at home. But if, if you guys were to move to a red list country for the UK, that's a whole different story. I then have to quarantine in a hotel room by myself with nothing but room service and a laptop. And I have a four year old. So that's not an option for me. So I can arrange for someone to take him to school when I return from Orlando if I can quarantine at home, but I can't accommodate quarantining in, in a hotel. So I guess my feeling at the moment for 2022 is that this time last year, honestly, we, we went camping locally and we honestly thought that we would be booking an abroad holiday this summer and it hasn't happened. So that little cynic in me is going, Indian variant, so much going on. How do we know that we can be at ISE next year? How how do we know? But if we can be, Midwich will absolutely be there. Absolutely. 
All right, that'll be a good place to stop. I, I, I am with you. Um, I, I have, I have teenagers now. Actually, I, I said this before, and my youngest just turned thirteen. Uh, so if spending a week, a month in a hotel and just room service and a laptop, <laughs> I, I don't see a problem here. But that's just because I have teenagers. <laughs> All right. Thank you both so much uh, for for joining us, Jen Steinhardt. Um, I, I, yeah, she's awesome. Uh, how do people connect with you or uh, AV, um, Nerdy Girl AV? Oh, Lord, I almost messed it up. No worries. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at Nerdy Girl AV, uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you go to nerdygirlav.com, you can find all of the, uh, such as my YouTube channel, uh, The Mental Mary Show, um, where we talk about mental health and things like that. Uh, and a little bit diving uh, into a few new channels on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, just kind of getting people involved into the AV industry as a whole and learning new things. Very cool. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, also, Jenny Hicks, thank you. Uh, how do uh, people connect with you or Midwitch? Yeah, so uh, reach out to me directly if you're unsure of which uh, Midwitch group company is your local territory business. Um, reach me at LinkedIn or uh, on Twitter at Midwitch Jenny and do check out our um, live talk show which is every last Friday of the month Midwitch Live with, uh, with our buddy Chris Neto, absolutely um, also Jen uh, Steinhardt, uh, she did a fantastic uh, webinar with a bunch of other folks uh, last month uh, for Avixa on neurodiversity uh, so you can check that out as well and uh, because of Jen and uh, Nerdy Girl AV, uh, AV Nation now has a TikTok uh, so there you go. Um, I, I don't know anything other than that. I know we have one. Um, and I guess technically I have one cause I had to sign up and learn about it. Anyhow. So. Hashtag AV tech talk. Let's make it a thing. <laughs> Is it tech talk or AV tick tock? AV tick tick tock <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, I like tech talk too. I know. Yeah. All right. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, I guess you can follow me on TikTok. I don't know. Uh, don't follow me on the Twitters, though. Uh, but go by our website, if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, uh, including our, our weekly other weekly show uh, called Resi Week that my buddy Matt Scott uh, hosts. And uh, also check out our sponsors. These are folks who help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week. And in about two and a half, three months' time, Cedia. Yes, Cedia Expo. Uh, we're going in person. Uh, I am 100% fully vaccinated. Uh, there is a nasty rumor going around that Can Canada will be opening up come July 1st. So Matt Scott might actually get into the lower 48. Um, and if not, Richie Fregosa will be joining me over in Indianapolis. So uh, check all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.